cloth Y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo with the Rucker Bar Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen, episode number 196 of the Decoding Success Podcast. This is your host, Matt Labrie. Today, we are joined by our friend, Dean Carnazes, also known as the Ultra Marathon Man. He has been named by Time Magazine as one of the top 100 most influential people in the world because he has pushed his body and mind to inconceivable limits, and we're diving into all of that today. Among his many accomplishments, Dean has ran 50 marathons in all 50 U.S. states in 50 consecutive days. He's run across Death Valley in the middle of summer, and he's run a marathon to the South Pole. On 10 separate occasions, he's run a 200-mile relay race solo, racing alongside teams of 12. His list of competitive achievements include winning the world's toughest foot race, the Badwater Ultra Marathon, and winning the Four Deserts Challenge, racing in the hottest, driest, windiest, and coldest places on Earth. A New York Times bestselling author to top all of those amazing accomplishments, Dean is a frequent speaker and panelist at many run and sporting events across the globe. Dean is bringing all of his insights, all of his tactics and habits and advice, all of the good stuff to this episode right here today so you are in a great place in your life as you tune into this. With that being said, I want to share this with you. September 1st, 2021, we are celebrating 200 podcast episodes in New York City. Check out the Eventbrite link. It's actually hyperlinked in the show notes of this episode. There are over 200 tickets sold. We are going to have an absolutely amazing time, special guests, food, drinks, music, networking, and more. I highly suggest you coming out, meeting the rest of the community members that are able to make it. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Bottom line, we're going to have an absolutely amazing time. Again, check it out in the show notes of this episode episode, there's a hyperlink that says join us in New York City. Also, throwing this out there, make sure you're sharing this episode. Whether you're sharing direct feedback with the team on our personal Instagrams or the show's Instagram, or you're sharing it in your group chats, your text messages, your emails, your email blasts, wherever you're doing so, make sure you let us know so we could show you love. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, and without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Dean Carnazes. Dean, welcome to the show, brother. Super excited to have you. I know this uh, this got a little rain check, but we are here. We're ready to make it happen. Really excited for this. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to make an impact here. Yeah, we worked hard at it, so it's going to be well worth it. Yeah, for sure. 100%. 100%. Now, first question for you. This is how we kick off every episode. How does Dean personally define success? <laughs> Being the best you that you can be. Okay. Okay. Now, how did you get to that? You know, uh, what was it just life that took you there? Was it a certain event? Uh, listen, I mean, I'm in my mid to late 20s at this point. In my early 20s, it was all about money, right? And then having amazing individuals like yourself on the show and just going through life, it made me really change what I define success as. So I'm curious, what was it for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I had to make a lot of money before I realized money wasn't important. <laughs> it's kind of a tough lesson, you know, when someone says, don't worry about money, and you don't have any, uh, it's hard, it's hard to take them uh, seriously. But, uh, you know, I will say that, 
you know, after after five decades of being on Earth, you learn that um, you know life is is about so much, and that you know survival is one thing, but if you can move beyond survival, it's about thrival. Mm. And to me, it'd just be a sin to to cut yourself short. You know, not to uh, to try your best and be all that you can be. Agreed. Agreed. Now, for you moving beyond survival, was it making that money? Was it making sure you had a roof over your head and all of that before you were able to thrive? Or are you able to thrive while still working on that survival aspect? Yeah, I would say you you nailed it with the latter. Um, you know, I've had money anxiety my whole life mm-hmm. and I came from nothing. I mean, you know, my dad was a, a field naturalist. And my mom was a public school teacher. So I've always worried about my future. And even now, that I'm quote unquote successful, you know, every morning I wake up thinking today's got to be a good day or you're going to be homeless tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, I don't know why I'm hardwired like that, but to me, uh, you know, overcoming those kind of feelings and being more comfortable in the position I'm at has been something I've had to work at. It's been mentally challenging. For sure. I love that. And I appreciate the transparency there. Now, I, what I like to do is connect the dots. Like we, we know who Dean is today. I just want to bring all of the listeners and the viewers of this up to speed on who Dean was in high school. Who was Dean hanging out with? What was he doing? What was his dream back then? Yeah. <laughs> Screwing off as best I could. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know how else to say it, but, um, you know, I screwed off the best I could here in the U.S. and and they kind of caught on to me and and so I became a uh, an exchange student and I moved to Australia for a year mm. and screwed off there as best I could. You know, I was I was into surfing. I grew up in California, <clears throat> and I mean, my life revolved around the waves. And you know, in Australia, I went to high school when the surf wasn't good, but you know, the priority was going surfing. And school was optional. And that's kind of, I was kind of a screw off, you know, just surf and sun and, you know, live the life. So where does running come into your life if surf was the main thing? Yeah, I mean, I used to love to run when I was a kid. Okay. And, uh, you know, I ran competitively as I was a freshman in, in high school and we won the, uh, the cross country championships. And I, I kind of thought at that point, okay, you've taken this running thing as far as you can take it. Uh, you know, running's boring. You know, you're, you're wasting your time, uh, you know, chasing running. So I stopped running at 15 entirely. Right. And then, um, you know, I went, I somehow graduated high school and I got into uh, college, somehow graduated college. And then I went to graduate school, uh, somehow made it through graduate school and then decided I needed a, a business degree. So I went and got an MBA and I had a very comfortable corporate job in San Francisco and I was living the life. I mean, I had stock options. I had a company car. You know, I had a fat paycheck, healthcare, 401k matching, all those perks. Uh, but I was very, I was miserable. <laughs> I was empty. And on the night of my 30th birthday, I was in a bar with my buddies doing what a lot of us do on our 30th birthday. I was in there, you know, getting hammered with them. And at midnight, I told them I was leaving. And they said, what do you mean? It's, you know, it's your 30th birthday. Let's have another round of tequila to celebrate. And I said, no, instead, I'm going to I'm going to go run 30 miles right now to celebrate. Holy shit. Yeah. I'll never forget. They looked at me and they said, but you're not a runner. You're drunk. And I said, I am, but I'm still going to do it. And I literally I walked out of the bar. I didn't even own running gear, but I had on these comfortable boxer shorts, like these silk underwear. So I peeled off my pants, (laughs) (laughs) threw them down the alleyway and just started 
stumbling into the night heading south. I knew there was a town called Half Moon Bay that was 30 miles away. And I said, just run to Half Moon Bay, you know, and about 15 miles into it, I started sobering up and I thought, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, this is crazy, but it just, something felt right. So I, I ran straight through the night and I made it 30 miles and resigned from my job and decided I was going to be a runner. Now that's, that's a really powerful story. I just want to unpack this because that, that is insanely powerful. Number one, what is your advice for people that are listening to this that feel what you felt, right? They have their job. It's, it's comfortable, right? It's super comfortable. They have a fat paycheck. Uh, maybe they don't have a company car, but maybe they have, you know, unlimited paid time off or something of that nature, but they're not fulfilled, right? And they don't know how to leave. They don't know how to take that leap. What's your advice for them? You know, I say to um, to script your perfect life. So, uh, you know, I'm a writer and I say, take a pen or, you know, get in front of your laptop and just say, if, if you were to wake up tomorrow morning and you could have your perfect life, mm. you know, what would you be doing? What exactly would you be doing? Where would you live? You know, what car would you drive if you would drive a car? Get very granular and just describe the perfect, the perfect day tomorrow of the rest of your life. And then you kind of, you have the ideal, right? Unless you know where you want to go, you'll never get there. So once you have this narrative, how you want your life to be, you can start working toward that. And it surprises a lot of people when they, when they actually think about what would I most like to do? Some people think, you know, I want to be part of the Peace Corps. <laughs> mm. I don't want to have a corporate job. Like, I don't care about money. I, you know, I want, to, I want to help people. You know, other people say, well... I just love basket weaving. You know, how can I possibly make a living basket weaving? You know, I assure you, if you love basket weaving and you throw your heart and your passion and your soul into it and you become the best basket weaver there is on the planet, you'll you'll be completely fulfilled and you will make a go of it. Right. Right. I love that. And I appreciate that. But I'm curious, what made you discover that exercise? Bad tequila. <laughs> OK, OK. No, I think, I think, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe I was too young to have a midlife crisis, but you know, you're in, you're kind of at that place I was at, I was, you know, you're in your, in your late twenties and I was starting to, you know, re-examine my life, questioning everything. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, do I want to wake up at 50, you know, out of shape, overweight, you know, rich driving a red sports car on my third wife. Is that where I want my life to go? Or do I want something more fulfilling? Right. I, I appreciate that. Now, you saw that as the trajectory of your life. What were you just explaining? That's it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, I hear that. I hear that. I, I appreciate that. Now, when it comes to running, you ran 30 miles. I haven't ran 30 miles in, you know, the same, in the same <laughs> run ever, but ideally I would love to run the marathon. Like that, that that's a goal for sure. Uh, I'm sure you get a million and one running questions, but I mean, listen, you're here. We're going to have to dissect this. Um, I want to talk about the mindset of it, the mindset of pre-run. Like, for instance, I'm about to run a 10K next week. 10K is probably going to – I've ran an 8K before in Central Park. I've done stuff like that. I've never run a half or a full marathon. But I'm curious, like, pre-run, when it comes to the mindset, I find myself sometimes psyching myself out of it. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, but – it's almost like I'm looking at the uphill battle and I'm not like fully bought into it. It's really, it's a really weird experience. So what's your advice going into a run from, you know, before you even go into it? 
you know, learn to embrace the the suck. <laughs> okay. You know, you know, it's going to suck, you know, it's right. going to hurt, you know, it's going to be miserable and you want to avoid these things, but shift your paradigm and say, you know what, I'm going to welcome these things today. I'm going to, I'm going to delve into that pain, into that hurt, into that boredom. I'm going to just throw myself at it and experience it. You know, you experience great highs, experience a great low mm. uh, for all it's worth. I mean, have that emotional range. And I, you know, you said something very interesting to preface this. You said you want to run the marathon. Correct. In New York City, you know, I've run hundreds of marathons across the globe and, you know, New York City is one, you know, it's, it's glorious. It's one of the, my favorite in the world. And I think everyone should run a marathon. Mm. And people hear me say that and they're like, oh, that's impossible. Like, I, not me. I could never run a marathon. And I think that's why you've got to run a marathon because you think it's impossible. And mm. if you can finish the marathon, then you can prove to yourself nothing is impossible. Right. That, that, that's a major key as to why I want to do it because, I mean, I've played baseball, basketball my whole life, but as you know, I mean, the basketball court's only a certain distance, right? And I was a pitcher, so I was rarely ever running when it came to baseball, you know, and I find personally running and yoga the most challenging workouts that I, that I do. So um, I, I want to I dive deeper in, into embracing the suck, right? Because it, it's much bigger than just running. I mean, the suck happens in all areas of life. The suck happens in business. The suck happens in relationships. Uh, and I have this conversation rather often and it's like, and maybe we'll be a little spiritual here, but like, how do you trust the universe's plan when you're in that suck? Like when, when you're in the valley and not on the peak, you know, life isn't linear. We know this, but like, how do you embrace that? I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, again, I think you, you learn to love the full emotional range. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when, you know, you celebrate when the, when the world lifts you up and, and you, you suffer when the world turns its back on you. Right. But both of those are deep experiences. They're part of being alive, of being human. Mm -hmm. And I don't try to run from these negative experiences anymore. I used to, and uh, now I just, you know, I, I live it. Right. And I, and I say, you know what, this is ultimately going to make you stronger. You know, Agreed. going through this as tough as it is, you're going to emerge as someone better. Yeah. It's hard. I agree. A hundred percent. I agree. It's hard to buy into that sometimes though, but you're right. A hundred percent, whether it's a breakup, whether it's uh, you know, you having to close down your business or you losing a client or whatever the case is, you know, you're injured from a physical activity. I, I definitely, definitely agree with you. Uh, it's just in the moment, it's, it's difficult to buy in, but a hundred percent agreed. Um, I, you know, you mentioned the marathon, right? And you've done something that's rather incredible. I'm sure you get these questions all the time, but you did 50 marathons, 50 days, 50 states. We've had James Lawrence, Iron Cowboy James Lawrence, who did the 50 triathlons or uh, Ironmans, uh, 50 days, 50 states as well. Um, I got his take on it. I want your take on it. Why? What compelled you to do this? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, um, you know, James and I are friends. Okay. So, um, you know, he, he talked to me, consulted with me before he did his 50 Ironmans in 50 states. Uh, I think his, his motivation was a little bit different than mine. Mine was a, you know, a, a quest to, you know, never stop exploring, to see if it could be done. People questioned, you know, people run one marathon. They say, I can't walk for a week. You know, <laughs> there's just no way you're going to run 50 marathons. And I doubted it myself, but I thought the only way to learn is, is to try. So part of it was this, you know, this step into the unknown. 
of you know pushing the limits of, of human exploration and human endurance. But the other thing was that uh, the marathons I did, we allowed other people to run with me. So I contacted the race director um, for 50 marathons across the country and said, you know, when I'm in uh, Iowa on, you know, on this random Tuesday, will you set up your official starting line? Uh, let us follow your sanctioned and certified course and finish at your official finish line. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't want it to be just about one guy, you know, about me chest pounding, saying, look what I did. I wanted it to be about a collective experience with many people because I thought, you know, you, you can do this and it'll inspire some people. But if you have thousands of people join you at different marathons across the country, that's going to magnify, you know, the, the reach of this. And, and so I ran marathon, you know, there's, we had a permit for 50 people to join me in each state. And after about three marathons, all of them were full. <laughs> and wow. some of them were like waiting lists of hundreds of people trying to come run this marathon with me. So it, it became more than just about me. Yeah, that's powerful. Now I'm curious, do you feel like you fed off the energy of the other people around you? Because when I did the race in Central Park, listen, I'm a, I'm a bit of a competitive guy and it wasn't like, oh my God, I need to be the first person to finish. But it was just like, I just fed off the energy, like seeing other people doing it, even sometimes passing someone like you really feel good. You know, you feel high. Yeah, I, I think that um, it, it goes both ways. I mean, during a marathon, uh, you know, there are dark moments. <laughs> And personally, I, I prefer to suffer in silence. So, you know, when you're really struggling and suffering, you're not, you know, your most upbeat self. And it's hard to put on a, a front, you know, to to be jovial and, and, and welcoming to people. So, you know, it was good and it was bad. Mm, interesting. Now, how do you keep yourself going mid-run or while you're running when you want to stop, right? Like we know that the body can can do a lot more than the mind thinks it can. Like that that's a given. We we know that. But sometimes the mind and, and especially in my scenario, the mind definitely shuts down the body and is like, yo, dude, stop right here. You just did three miles. You don't need to do four. You know, <laughs> so like I'm curious, like, how do you keep that going when the mind starts to chime in? Yeah, I mean, I, I try to turn off the mind. Mm. I think how do you do that. You know, when you start thinking, you get yourself in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I put on the blinders to the future and I don't reflect on the past. I just focus on one thing, and that is taking my next step to the best of my ability. That's all I do. I say, take your next step to the best of your ability. Okay, take your next step to the best of your ability. Be in the here and now, the present moment of time, because we're rarely occupying the present moment of time. Our minds are so active. I mean, even now, as we're you know, talking, your mind is racing. My mind is racing Mm. and it takes discipline to bring yourself back to the center. So it's really discipline, thought and action. And you know, when your mind is wandering, you 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 can't pull yourself. And when your mind wanders, you just pull it back to, okay, all I'm focusing on now is my next step. Mm. Don't think about anything else. Just take your next step. And that's how I get to those, those low points. Yeah, that's and it's funny you say that. I, I mean, I run at my local park here and I run like the outskirts of it. Um, you know, I've ran the track. I've done a mile in under six minutes. You know, I, I try to push myself in, in many different regards. But when I run the outside, I always and I do what you say, like what you just said, I, I have my own thing. I'm like, all right, just focus on getting to the next light post. Just focus on getting to the next light post. That's kind of my way of, uh, you know, staying present in those moments. So I appreciate that. It, it's cool to see like the different perspective there. But um, I'm curious, what was your most memorable run? Was it the one at 30 years old? Wow. 
you know, I, how long is this interview? <laughs> it, I mean, we, we can go all day. I can talk to you all day about this. Because, <laughs> I mean, I've run on all seven continents twice. I love that. So, you know, I've, I've been, yeah, I mean, I've run, I've marathoned to the South Pole, you know, I've run across the Sahara. Mm. Uh, but, you know, my most memorable run ever was a, um, a 10K. Okay. Probably wondering why. I mean, you know, this guy runs hundreds of miles, you know, in exotic locations. Uh, you know, I ran a 10K with my daughter, Alexandria, on her 10th birthday. Wow. And, you know, to a dad, you're, you're not there yet, but you'll, you know, if you ever get there, you'll know exactly what I'm saying. I mean, it was the most meaningful run I'll ever have. I love that. Now, why was it so meaningful? Because you did it with your daughter? Yeah, I mean, she wanted to, she came to me and said, Dad, I want to run a 10K with you on my 10th birthday. And I didn't think she was capable of it, honestly. And I mean, I'll never forget, we were running along at, at about mile five. She was falling apart. I mean, she was, you know, kind of staggering and kind of run walking. And, you know, I, I, I felt so sorry for her. And I was about to turn to her and say, you know, Alexandria, it's okay. You tried your best. You know, we'll do it again. Mm-hmm. And right when I was going to say that to her, she said, she looked at me and she said, dad, let's go. And I'll never forget it. She started sprinting. <laughs> right. And that last mile we were running, you know, like almost a sub six minute mile. And I'd never seen that toughness in her before. I'd never seen that grit. So I saw a new side of her that was really beautiful. That's amazing. And, yeah. Kids are like that. I mean, you think, you know, them, and then they, they do something that blows your mind. You just gave me the chills saying that literally the chills up and down the arms. I'm curious. When was the time that you've had to say that to yourself though, in regards like, Hey, you just did your best. You can stop. It doesn't have to be in running. Have you did that in any area of your life? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm a pit bull and to my detriment, I have to be honest. I mean, you know, there's a saying, um, life is a, a delicate dance between making it happen and letting it happen. Mm. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm forcing things to happen too hard and I haven't really learned that delicate, that delicate dance. So uh, I have a hard time, you know, not just pushing to the extreme with everything I do. Right. That's respectable. Listen, I've been the same way for many years and I think I've started to flirt with the, hey, let let life happen. Um, You know, one of my favorite quotes is by Peter Drucker, you know, the best way to uh, predict the future is to create it. Right. Mm -hmm. So like I take that to heart and I'm like, all right, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make everything happen. And listen, you know, sometimes life has hit me with the two by four many times over, whether it was in business or relationships, career, uh, friendships, podcasting, wherever. And literally just said, yo, dude, sit down, take a seat for a little bit, you know, let life happen. But I appreciate the mentality you you have. Uh, I share in that as well. You know, we talked about the marathons. We talked about all of that. Um, let me backtrack a little. Seven continents. Where's your favorite place to travel to? <laughs> you know, uh, I would have to say I'm 100% Greek. So I think Greece. What part of Greece? Oh, I love the islands. Uh, I love the the Peloponnese. I love Messenia. Uh, you know, when I say to people, Greece is my favorite place, you know, Greece is so diverse. It doesn't even begin to describe, you know, when I say it's my favorite place to run, that could be, you know, in the mountains, in pine forests. Right. Um, you know, it could be on an island, you know, with the, the Mediterranean in the background. So, uh, I just have you ever been to Greece? 
I haven't been to Gre- I've been to Europe. I haven't been to Greece yet. I have a lot of Greek friends. Um, they're going to be glad that you just gave them the shout out on this episode. That's for sure. But uh, I have not been there yet. I, I will most definitely make my way there eventually. Yeah, I would. I would. You know, Patagonia is not a bad place either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cool stuff, man. Very cool stuff. Now you have a new book out, A Runner's High. First question is, why did you write this book at this point in your journey? Yeah, well, this is my fifth book. And my first book uh, was called Ultra Marathon Man. It was kind of a coming of age book. Mm. You know, I tell the story of uh, that I told you about uh, walking out of a bar on my 30th birthday and, and running 30 miles. And then, you know, learning about this crazy world of ultra marathoning. Right. you know, where I run 50, 100, 200 miles nonstop. So I kind of describe my, you know, my, my learning of this and my, my developing love for this sport. And uh, runner's high is, you know, nearly three decades later, I'm still going. <laughs> yeah, I'm still showing up. I'm still standing. I'm still running 100 miles. You know, what does that journey look like? You know, how, how do you keep, how do you stay true to the, your passion for 30 years, especially when a passion is so physically demanding, like an ultra marathon mm-hmm. and the insights I've learned along the way. Um, you know, it's a funny book. It's, it, it's a book that if you read the first line, I think you're, you're kind of hooked. I, so many people have said that to me. I mean, I got an email this morning from a guy that said, you know, last night I was going to read a couple chapters of your book before I went to sleep. He's like, seven hours later, I, I finished the last page and he's, and I'm like, did you sleep? He's like, no, I, I went for a run. <laughs> wow. Like, I love that. Yeah. And I, I've gotten a lot of messages like that. That's incredible. Now, why are you still pursuing this passion? Like, I, I know you love it, right? Like that, that's very evident. You love it, but you're still going like, what is it that's keeping that fire burning? You know, it's just what I, it's, it's, Running is, is such a simple act, but it's it's so profound and powerful. Mm. Uh, you know, one, it's escapism. It's just a way to, to take the heaviness of being off your shoulders for an hour or two. Uh, you know, two, it's it's endorphins. It's that feel good. You know, I, I definitely experienced a runner's high. And mm. it's, it's still as powerful as it was when I first started running. So I do it for endorphins. I think it it rejuvenates my soul. It cleanses me. Uh, you know, it's, it's all of these things running. It's painful. It's a challenge. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's something that I'll, I'll, I think I'll never get tired of. I, I tell people my finish line is a pine box. Mm, that's powerful. That is powerful. Now, how are you recovering from a physical perspective? Right. Um, you know, I, I, I've, torn both the labrums in my shoulders. So I, I take recovery very serious because I, I once didn't. Uh, one was baseball, one was basketball. I was very, very hard headed when it came to icing down and, you know, massages and stuff like that. So I'm curious, like, what what are you doing right now to help yourself recover? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't do a lot of icing. I don't do any massage. Uh, you know, I think that to me, I, I view my life through the lens of being the best animal that I can be. So everything I do revolves around how I can be that best animal. And so that, you know, that entails training, that entails cross training. I do a lot of cross training, which is something not many runners do. It also includes diet and nutrition. It includes good quality sleep, as well as interpersonal relationships. Mm. I think a lot of athletes um, overlook the importance of interpersonal relationships 
you know, if you have harmonious relationships with your family and friends, your performance is better. And just the opposite holds true as well. So I think I try to maximize all of these things so that I don't get injured and that I can keep performing at a high level. What's the best type of meals to line up the day before you're running and then the day of? Yeah, you know, I, when it comes to nutrition and, and diet, I tell people, you know, listen to everyone, follow no one. <laughs> because we're all, we're all different. Right. And yeah, to me, I don't, I don't modify my, my diet at all before uh, a race. The one thing I do um, practice, I, cu- I cut down on fiber, mm-hmm. F, you know, for the obvious reasons. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, but other than that, I keep my diet the same. I don't, I don't carbo-load anymore, no pasta feeding or anything like that. And I don't like uh, starting a race with anything in my, in my stomach, in my gut. So I typically start a race fasted uh, with my, and I typically don't eat for a couple hours into a race. Very, very interesting. I, I love the fasted runs. I have not done one for long distance though. So I'm going to, I'm going to try that out. Uh, I feel like I run faster when I'm, when I'm fasted, which uh, you know, at a quicker pace, do you, do you experience that? Yeah, I, I do up to a point. Like I said, you know, after a few hours, <laughs> you know, for a 10K or something like that, it, you feel great. But, you know, when you start approaching half marathon, even marathon distance, then you start getting a little bit hungry. A hundred percent. I could imagine. I, I could definitely imagine. Now, back to the book. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, the, the last time I ran the New York City Marathon, um, I've, I started fasted and all I had the whole time was a, I had a, a cup of water at mile 13. But that was all I consumed the entire time. Wow. That's intense. That's intense. I love that. Um, back to the book. If someone that reads this book could only take away one thing from it, what would you want that one thing to be? Live your life with passion. Mm. You just go for it. I mean, <laughs> whatever it is that you do, just go for it. Right. Right. What's your advice to them in regards to actually living that though? Right. Cause it, it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah. I mean, I I'm with you on the ride. It's, there's a lot, you're going to face setback after setback. And as you, you know, you get to a stage of life, like, like I'm at, you know, the setbacks, they add up and it gets harder and harder. Um, but again, I, I think if you just embrace the suck, the, you know, and, and, and love the highs and love the lows and do the best that you can do, you know, that that's, that's all any of us can do, right? Just get up in the morning and say, today, I'm going to be the best me that I can be. Mm-hmm. And if you do that every day, you know, you pretty much succeed, even if, you know, your, your endeavor fails. For sure. And that goes back all the way to your definition of success. I love how that comes back full circle. Um, Dean, what is a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Boy, I get asked so many, <laughs> so many questions. Um, I guess, you know, people don't ask me too much about my failures. I think mostly people focus on all these incredible things I've done, you know, and they look at this, this laundry list of, you know, successes, but I've got an, you know, an almost equal list of of failures. Mm. And I think that it's important for people to know that I've failed boldly. (laughs) I've, you know, I've bitten off more than I can chew on a number of occasions and I've somehow bounced back. What do you feel like is the failure that helped shape Dean to who he is today the most? You know, there's a race called the Badwater Ultramarathon, okay. which is called the world's toughest foot race. 
So it's a 135 mile race across Death Valley in the middle of summer where the temperatures can get up above 130 degrees. Mm. And the first time I attempted this race, I, I only made it halfway. <clears throat> and I literally passed out on the side of the road and had to be driven to safety. And I think a lot of people would say, wow, that's, you know, you're, you're lucky to be alive. I bet you're never going to try anything like that again. But I thought just the opposite. Like I've got, I've got unfinished business. I've got to go back there and prove to myself and that hell that I can get through it and I can finish this race. Mm. And I, I did it. I went back next year and I finished the Badwater Ultra Marathon. And I think that proved to me that I'm, you know, I was better than I thought I was and I could go further than I thought I could. What was the difference between Dean running it the first time and Dean running it the second? Taking it way more seriously um, in my training, in my preparation. So I started going into the sauna at the gym and doing rounds of push-ups and sit-ups to heat acclimate. Mm. And, you know, people thought I was crazy because I was, you know, it was so hot in there and I'm doing push-ups and sit-ups. Uh, you know, I also took my hydration very seriously. So I, I never let myself get into a deficit. The first year I was kind of arrogant and I thought, oh, you know, you're not, you, you haven't drunk, you know, you, you're not quite keeping up on your hydration, but you know, you've done that before. You don't do that in Death Valley. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't get away with that in Death Valley. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, how were you regulating your body temperature the second time around while running? Because personally, I hate running in the heat. Uh, in fact, when I'm running the 10K, I said, hey, let's start at 7, 8 a.m. Because and we're running on the water. Nonetheless, I'm like, Let, let's <laughs> let's make sure that it's not that hot out because we've been getting swamped with heat here in uh, in New York. So I'm curious, like, what were you doing while running to regulate outside of drinking, if anything? Yeah, I was carrying a uh, plant mister a spray bottle. And okay. literally I was spraying myself off as I was running because I learned that, you know, you need to keep both your, your core cool as well as your skin cool. Mm. So I was spraying my body with this, this mister. And as well as um, I was trying to eat ice as much as I could. So swallowing whole pieces of ice to get ice cubes into my stomach, literally. So it would cool my core. And that, that, that formula seemed to work. Yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna do that. You know what? I have a spray bottle here that I I, I use it to train my puppy with, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be put to good use for myself now. I appreciate that. Um, another question for you: Someone actually just gave me this piece of advice, and I'm curious to hear what you say on this. I, I was someone I I did a 75 day challenge called 75 Hard by Andy Frisella. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Amazing challenge. I told myself, you know what? I want to run that mile in less than six minutes. I'm, I mean, I'm six foot five. I have the the length. Like I, I knew I'd be able to do it. And I'm somewhat fast regardless of, you know, running or, or not. Um, so with that being said, someone today told me to, and listen, I was in a lot better shape when I did that program. Right now, I let myself go a little bit. But someone told me today in regards to running 10Ks and further distances, that interval running is very, very helpful. Have you done interval running at all? Yeah. Yes. And I, I agree with them. Okay. Okay. Now what's your advice? I mean, he said to start with a one minute run 30 second walk and then continue that down the line. Is that something you would agree with? Yeah, that sounds like a good program. There are, there are a number of different programs. Um, you know, the, the thing that you want to avoid is uh, this, this amorphous concept called the black hole. Okay. And the black hole is where you just, you, you work out at the same intensity level every day. 
Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, you know, you like pushing yourself and you might be someone who just goes out and every day you train, you're just going to push to the max. Right. Uh, the problem is that you plateau, you know, your max, you never exceed that max. So the idea is to one day go really easy. So force yourself to slow down, mm. really force yourself to slow down. And then the next day go as hard as you just falls to the wall all out. And then the day after that, just go really slow so that on those hard days, you're exceeding where you were before when you're just doing the same thing every day. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I appreciate that. And again, I, I mean, I think we all need to find what works best for us too. Uh, I mean, just from being an athlete, I've trained numerous different ways and I realize what works best for me, especially in the weight room and what doesn't. So I definitely appreciate your opinion there. Um, but a couple more questions for you. I know I need to get you out of here. What was a piece of advice that Dean was given that he didn't want to hear, but proved to be true over time? You know, my dad once told me, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down. Uh, what matters is how many times you get back up. Mm. And, you know, I, I used to try to avoid getting knocked down, but I realized getting knocked down is inevitable. Yeah. So how do you respond when you get knocked down? And I think, you know, the best lesson is to get back up. A hundred percent. Now, were you always someone that got back up? It seems like you were. Yeah, I mean, I've always had pretty good resilience. But let's face it, you know, who, when you get knocked down, who, who doesn't get demoralized? Right. You know, get their spirit knocked out of them. Right. So, yeah, you know, it, it, I've taken some hard knocks and somehow, you know, gotten through it. You know what? This random question just came to my mind now. I mean, I'm sitting I'm, I'm pretty inspired after having this conversation, even even from your daughter. Right. You know, when she was 10 and running that 10K, who's inspiring you? You know, it's funny. I, I look to people close to me for inspiration. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we all have people we idolize kind of thing, but we don't really know what they're all about. I mean, think about Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, we idolized him, but we learned in his private life that he was, he was kind of a, kind of an asshole. <laughs> you know, he was, he was kind of, he berated some of his employees and did some things that I didn't really admire, you know, from one human to another. So I would say that, you know, my wife is someone I really admire. Mm. Uh, she's a dentist and she is just such a pure soul. And she's influenced me in so many ways. She's just so honest and, and so warm hearted uh, naturally that uh, I, I've really learned a lot from her. Now, you just gave me the answer as to why your teeth are so pearly white. You, you married a <laughs> dentist. <laughs> It all <laughs> free dental work. Yeah. <laughs> it all makes sense. It all makes sense. I love that. Um, what was it about your wife that, that told you she was the one? Oh boy. Um, you know, I, I met her when I was 14 and she was my first girlfriend and, and my only girlfriend were high school sweethearts. I love that. And uh, in I Australia did... or in Cali in, before in Cali. Yeah. 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 I love that, man. So from 14 to now, there were, there, that was it. I, you know what? I, uh, I saw a lot of my buddies, what they were going through with breakups and chasing women. And I thought, you know what? You found a really good soul. Like there's no need to go anywhere else. <laughs> How did your wife feel about all the running stuff and pushing yourself to these extreme limits? Yeah. I mean, she, she's not a runner. I mean, she runs if she's being chased, <laughs> right? 
she's really embraced my journey. I mean, she's been so supportive and, you know, it's not her world, but she, she's been just the best. I love that. I love that. That's important. Now, I, I mean, I was going to ask you, what do you like, what, what's your advice or what do you think are like the key qualities to look for in a significant other? And that support one has to be one of them, you know, especially for someone that's as driven as yourself or for the individuals that listen to these episodes, like, you know, the people that tune into the show are individuals that want the most out of their life, you know, and bringing individuals like yourself on here who have gotten the most and still pursue the most is, you know, amazing to say the least. So like to find someone that supports that is absolutely a key, but I'm, I'm curious, like, what do you think are the top three? You know, this might sound funny to you, but commitment is, I think is by far and away the top. And okay. you know, you're the person you marry is going to change. Um, you know, they, they might not look the same. They might have a different mindset, but the thing is, that love is developed through commitment, mm. um, through the good and the bad, holding, just holding together, staying together uh, when things are horrible and when things are good. And a lot of people, I think, are too quick just to to abandon something if they think it's wrong. Mm. But you can get through some really tough moments in a relationship and it makes you both stronger. So I, I would say, yeah, don't don't abandon ship. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. That That's a good point. Commitment is huge. I'm curious, is there ever a time to abandon ship when it comes to that? I mean, obviously, you haven't necessarily experienced it, but I'm curious, maybe something in, in you know, something of proximity to you may have said, okay, cool, you know, I've seen this person do it or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've hung on to things for too long. Um, you know, I think that, uh, I probably spent too many days surfing, (laughs) (laughs) indulging myself when it was, it was kind of time to move on. Right. Um, but you know, I, I guess, you know, when I get to my grave, I I can't say that, wow, I've I've caught some really great waves and (laughs) Hawaii and everywhere else, Mexico. Yeah. I hear that, man. I hear that. Dean, last question for you now. I know I need to get you out of here. Last question. If you could only give one piece of advice for the rest of your life, meaning if you're hopping on podcasts, writing another book, maybe stages or whatever the case is, if you could only give one piece of advice the rest of your life, what would it be? Yeah. I mean, again, I'm Greek and I'll, I'll defer to the uh, Oracle at Delphi who said, um, know thyself. Know thyself. I love that. That's beautiful. Dean, I'm going to make sure that all of the socials, websites, where people can get the book are in the show notes of this episode. I just want to say thank you again for hopping on here, man. I truly, truly appreciate this. Amazing stuff. You have amazing stuff that you've accomplished and more stuff that you will. Just wanted to say thank you again, brother. The the honor is mine. And I I hope one day we can share some footsteps together. That would be awesome. There you have it, folks. Episode number 196 is officially in the books with our friend Dean Carnazes. Make sure you are checking him out on social. Connect with him. He's on the socials. He has a website. Send him a DM. Let him know that you heard him here on Decoding Success. And a few more announcements before I let you go. As mentioned earlier in the beginning of this show, I would love for you to share this episode. We absolutely urge individuals, if you found it to be a value, you're still listening to this episode at this point. Either you're on autopilot or you really found it to be a value 
because you're still listening to this voice right now. So make sure you're sharing it. The people in your circle will find it to be of value if you did. You are like-minded. You are in proximity of individuals just like yourself. If you want to share it on social, great. Tag us so we can show you love. If you want to send us a DM, do so. We love hearing from people. We really, really do. And oftentimes we share that on our stories as well. So make sure you're doing that if you found this to be of value, which I'm sure you did if you're still listening to this. On top of that, 9-1 New York City celebrating 200 episodes with the community. It's going to be amazing. Check that out in the show notes of this episode. And until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.